Okay, it's uh, good to see all of you here today, and uh, it's wonderful to be able to uh, come to the New Testament again after looking at the Old Testament for so long. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to ask you for your help in understanding your word. Uh, for truly left to ourselves, we will be ignorant. We will not be able to perceive what is your word to us. But we pray for the Holy Spirit working in our hearts that will lighten our minds and guide us in understanding how we should love you and love one another. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I was reading an article uh, quite a few days ago about how one of the major problems of uh, modern living was the problem of loneliness. For many people who live in modern cities, they may have uh, good careers, lots of money, and the latest gadgets, but if you ask them, and surveys have shown time and time again, what is the most pressing problem of people in li- living in uh, New York or London or wherever it is, they would say that it is relationships. That even though they are in the midst of many people, they still feel very lonely. And it's an irony because actually, when uh, surveys have been done, they've actually found that the, the more people are connected to people technologically, uh, using Facebook or WhatsApp or Instagram or Twitter, they actually find that the more connected people are electronically, the more lonely they feel. So I think that's a very real problem in the world that we live in today, relationships. And I think that today as we look at Philippians chapter 1 and just look at the first eight verses, it really speaks to us about relationships. Now before we begin and look at what it says in uh, the book of Philippians, in the first eight verses, let me just say that the the Bible, especially the book of Philippians, is not here to teach us about relationships. It's not here to make us connected in a disconnected world. And neither is it a self-help seminar to teach us about uh, how to make friends. And if you're not a Christian today, I'm also not here to try to sell you Christianity by saying that if you become a Christian, you have lots of friends. But I think what the Bible is saying to us today is what is the nature of relationships as Christians? Within a church, what is the nature of relationships between each of us? And I think that if we begin right at the very beginning, in verse 1 to 2, Paul speaks of uh, his relationships uh, with the Philippian Christians. And he says in verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the letter begins here with an introduction of who wrote the letter of Philippians, which is Paul. And it says here that it's actually Paul and Timothy. And what happened was, uh, Paul the Apostle actually founded the church in Philippi. Okay, It was one of the first churches he founded in Europe, and he went there on his second missionary journey. Uh, I hope you can see this. But uh, he started off from here, Jerusalem, and he went to Antioch. And here in Lystra, uh, Timothy joined him, and together they went. And the first, one of the first churches they planted in uh, mainland Europe was in the church in Philippi. Okay. Oh, well, that's great. Thanks. Okay, the church in Philippi. Okay, so if you can zoom out again. So this was around uh, four. 49 to 52 AD, this is how long the missionary journey took. And it says here that he and Timothy considered themselves servants of Christ Jesus. Now when we think of the word servants, uh, we think in terms of like uh, domestic maids or domestic workers who are contracted 
to work for us for a few years and after they finish and they've saved up enough money, they go back home to their home countries. But Paul and Timothy are not domestic workers of Jesus Christ. Okay, the word here, servants, is literally the word slaves. Uh, Paul and Timothy see themselves as slaves of Jesus Christ. And I think that that's a much better definition of how Paul and Timothy see their relationship to Jesus Christ. They are slaves to Jesus Christ. And the reason is because they are totally given over to desire to wholly serve Jesus Christ. That's what a slave is. Someone who gives his whole life in service to somebody. And that's what Paul and Timothy see themselves. And they see themselves as servants or slaves, so much so that they will be willing to give their lives to Jesus Christ if necessary. And I think this is very important, again, considering the background, because from what we understand, Paul, if you look at this map, again, this is another map, uh, wrote the letter to the Philippians from Rome. Okay, Rome was here, Philippa was here, and uh, Paul was in Rome around 62 AD, because he was uh, appealing to Caesar against charges of, uh, you know, going against, of treason against the Roman Empire. And we know that at this point in time, he was under house arrest, and it was a life and death situation, because if Caesar did not see his appeal favorably, he would die. So when Paul actually says uh, that he is a slave of Christ, he really means it because he is willing to give his life in service to Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul and Timothy, that's their goal, their aim in life, to totally serve Jesus as a slave. And then he goes on to speak and turn his attention to the people he's writing to, the church in Philippi. And he says, To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and deacons. Now the word here, holy people, is translated in uh, lots of different other translations as the word saints. Okay, That's what the literal word is, the word saints. Now uh, to us, uh, when we think of the idea of saint, we have a very uh, modern idea of a very holy, holy person. right? Uh, we have an idea of like the Catholic Church where when a person dies, they do research, they set up a committee and they research the life of a person. So maybe we'll research the life of why. Right, many years later, and see whether he's led a very exceptionally holy life so that he can become a saint. So when we think of the word saint, we associate it with like, particularly holy people, like Mother Teresa, where even Time magazine, the life and works of a modern saint. But here, actually, when you look at what Paul says, Paul actually says, and this is a repeated theme in Philippians, he, uses, he likes to use the word all, okay? All. He says to all God's holy people, all God's, saints. Now how can that be? How can all the Christians in Philippi be holy people or be saints? Surely they are not as holy as Mother Teresa. Surely they are not as uh, godly and uh, helping of the poor. But he sees them as saints, as holy people because they are all in Christ Jesus. And because they are in Christ Jesus, like they are they are enveloped, they are in the sphere of Jesus Christ. They are saints and holy people before God because Jesus has washed them clean of their sins. They're, as long as they remain within Jesus Christ, they are considered holy 
and saints before God. Okay, so if you think of it visually, next slide, right? It's like as long as we continue to be in Jesus Christ, as we remain within the sphere of Jesus Christ, if we are incorporated and, and in union to Jesus Christ, we are considered holy before God, we are saints before Him. And that's why in verse 2, He can wish them, in verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what happens here in verse 2 is uh, like a benediction, a wish. But a wish of something which they already have and He wants more of for them. And He says really two things for them. He wants them to have grace and peace. Now, again, these things are found in Jesus Christ. They already have these things and He wants them to have it to overflowing abundance. But what does it mean to have grace? Okay, grace is the word charis. Okay, I'm sure you all know charis. Right, charis is literally the, the word of, of, of overwhelming, unmerited kindness. Uh, a free and generous gift, an undeserved favor. And what happens is, in Jesus Christ, all Christians, including Christians in Philippi, already have God's grace. Because, if you see here in Romans chapter 3, all right, next slide, we deserve judgment. This is what we deserve. That's what we should get. But instead, we receive grace through Jesus Christ. There is no difference, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. See, so grace is found incorporated in union within the person of Jesus Christ. So next slide. Right, so once they are in Jesus Christ, they have grace, but also they have peace. Now, when we think of peace, there's lots of different ideas of peace, right? When, when I wish you peace to you, we often think of it as feeling peace. I, I have peace in me, you know, inner contentment and inner peace. But it's not a feeling that the Bible speaks about here. Uh, Paul is speaking of a relational peace, a peace between God and man. That's what he's wishing the Christians in Philippi. Because the natural state of relationship between God and man is, is hostility and war and division. Because God is a holy God who hates our sin and His relationship to us is judgment and wrath. We are a naturally rebellious people against God, so our natural reaction to God is to be hostile to God. And again in Romans chapter 5, it, it, it reflects this. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So here, Paul says something just in the first two verses which shows the, the, the unique connection that, they, that the Christians in Philippi and Paul have. Paul and Timothy are slaves of Christ. The Philippian Christians are in Christ and therefore they all share in this peace and grace. Now I think that that's a very important lesson for us because first and foremost, Christians have a unique connection. We have a connection which is authentic and which is eternal and which is divine. See, I remember uh, someone once said to me that blood 
is thicker than water. And what they meant was, family relations are stronger than friendships. But I realized that the even blood comes to an end. So recently you'll know that my grandfather died a few months ago. And what I realized was, after my grandfather died, uh, the, my, the, the, the relatives on my mother's side uh, no longer come together regularly for meals. Uh, we don't come together for gatherings anymore. And, and, and over time, I've sort of been reflecting on this, and I realized it's because it was my grandfather which held all those things together. Right? You know, when my grandfather was alive, so we, we would all gravitate towards my grandfather. We would have all our extended dinners, extended family gatherings around my grandfather. But now that my grandfather has passed away, well, we don't come together anymore, even though we are blood. But the difference is, in Jesus Christ, our connection, our relationship with one another is divine and it's eternal. We are always in Christ and we are always in relationship because we are connected together in union to Jesus Christ. And therefore, as Christians, we don't need to create identity. You know, you know sometimes, I remember when I was at work, before when I was working in a, in, in a company, we used to have like, you know, uh, company dinners, company holidays, company sports outings to create connection. But actually, as Christians, we don't need to create connections artificially. We are connected because we are all in Christ. There is a greater spiritual union among us that is reflected in who we, we are in Jesus Christ. And therefore, Paul goes on to speak in verse 3. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now the key message here is Paul thanking God for the Philippian Christians. And he didn't thank God just in his heart, in the quiet of you know, his heart, but he thanks God in prayer. And as he prays to God, he prays with joy. And he prays with joy and thankfulness because, in verse 5, of their partnership in the gospel from the very first day until then. Uh, now we've seen that Paul planted the church in about 49, 52 AD. So from then to the moment he left, the Philippian Christians, to the moment he was traveling around, to the moment that he was in Rome under house arrest, they had partnered with Paul in the gospel all that time. It didn't end when he left, it didn't end when he was in prison, it didn't end when he went to Rome. Now what does it mean to be in partnership? What does it mean to be in partnership? Now, uh, for many of us, our experience of partnership is where, you know, maybe doctors, or accountants, oh no, accountants cannot, not partners, sorry, doesn't work that way. Doctors, or architects, or, or maybe like dentists, they all form partnerships, right? But uh, as uh, family members of mine who are doctors and lawyers have told me, uh, partnerships and partners uh, who are accountants, oh no, accountants, sorry, lawyers and, uh, and, 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 and uh, doctors, they, they may actually uh, be in partnership in business, but they really uh, hate one another. But here in the Bible, partnership is, is really seen in the widest possible sense. 
Because when Paul here talks about the Philippian Christians' partnership in the gospel of him, as we read through the whole book of Philippians, it is, it is in everything. In prayer, in preaching, in sharing the gospel, in suffering for the gospel, in giving money for the gospel. In terms of, of loving one another, in terms of caring for one another, it's like partnership in everything. That's what he really means. And here, when we look at Paul's partnership, and uh, as we see it unfolding, he really sees the reality of how they are really knit together in one aim and one goal, in the gospel. Now I want you to think about it for a second. Why does he not say, I, I, I thank God of joy for your partnership in missions. I thank God for your partnership in ministry. Why does he say partnership in the gospel? In the gospel. Now the reason is because if in Paul's eyes and the God's eyes, unless there is partnership in the gospel, there is no partnership at all. There's no partnership at all. You see what happens is that as we go through the book of the Philippians, especially in chapter 3, there were false teachers and they were preaching another gospel, a different sort of gospel. A gospel which didn't come from Paul and a gospel which had nothing to do with Jesus. And Paul doesn't consider these people in partnership with him, but rather he sees them as enemies and as enemies of Jesus Christ. In fact, look at what it says there in verse 7. Right? In verse 7 he says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, even whether I'm in chains, defending and confirming the gospel. What it means here is that Paul actually sees the gospel as something to be guarded and defended. And there are actually people who are not in partnership in the gospel, but are actually enemies of the gospel who are outside the gospel of Jesus Christ. And actually, the next slide. Oh. Okay, it says there in Galatians, right? And there is some link between Galatians and Philippians in terms of Paul's view of those who are outside the gospel. Notice how God, uh, sorry, Paul views those who are not in partnership in the gospel. He says to the Galatian Christians, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we, as we have already said, and so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than that you, what you have accepted, let him be eternally condemned. So actually, next slide. So in Paul's eyes, a partner in the gospel is someone whose partnership is within the sphere of Jesus Christ. It's incorporated in the union of Jesus Christ. If you preach a different gospel, you're outside the grace and the peace which comes of Jesus Christ. Now, I think this is so important for us today because as Christians, we partner in so many things. We, you know, one of the catch cries of uh, Christianity today and Christians is unity, right? We all want to be united. Unity is very important. And we try to create unity in so many different ways. Uh, you know, we try to create unity in terms of denomination, in terms of dress, in terms of liturgical practice, uh, 
in terms of tradition and history. But the Bible tells us that unless there is partnership in the gospel, in what we are convicted in, what we believe, there is no real biblical partnership at all. You can try to create partnership in different ways, but you're not actually creating partnership in what the Bible is talking about. So I think that uh, it's so important because, uh, if you look at the next slide, if there are people who are outside the gospel and we try to say we are united as Christians, uh, we are actually preaching a false message to them. Instead of being thankful and joyful that we are partners in a greater endeavor, we should be sad for them because they are actually outside of the gospel itself and they are outside the grace and peace of God. Now, the second application is about partnership, isn't it? Because when you look at this passage, Paul expects partnership, if you see here, from all of them. It says in verse 4, In all my prayers for all of you, right? I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Remember I said in the beginning that the word all is a very, very repetitive word. It's a, it's a, com- it's a repeated theme in the book of Philippians. And here, he says that all the Christians have partnered with him in the gospel. Now, I think that's a a really important lesson for us. Because I think that for many Christians today, as they take part in church, they see themselves more as uh, receivers, as consumers, as uh, clients of the church, as customers of the church. Uh, I come to church and I'm here to be fed, I'm here to receive things, I'm here to enjoy things from church. Maybe it's the music, maybe it's learning, it's teaching. But but do we see ourselves as partners in the gospel? Right? Where we are of the same mind and the same heart and the same passion, together sharing the gospel, praying for uh, other Christians, uh, suffering for the gospel, Uh, putting in effort to help the gospel grow, uh, serving in the gospel. Do we see ourselves as partners in the gospel or do we see ourselves more as customers, uh, people who just are receiving, clients? Because that's not the way that the Bible sees our role as Christians. We are partners in the gospel. And that's why someone came back from, uh, or telling me about uh, how they uh, experienced a church in England and they were saying how they were so impressed in the church in England because when they went there, uh, everybody was really committed to praying. Everybody was really committed to serving. Everybody was really committed to sharing the gospel and bringing their friends to salvation. And I think that so many times uh, people have told me in other churches and, and I've seen it myself how uh, there's an 80-20 rule. You know, There's a thing called the 80-20 rule where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And I think that's true in a, a, a lot of settings, right? 80, 20 percent of the people do 80 percent of the work. But I think that in the church, as God's people, it should be a hundred percent of people doing a hundred percent partnership in the gospel. That's what the Bible is saying to us today. It goes on in verse six that Paul continues to thank God and pray with joy because he's confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now what is this good work? The good work 
that has started in the Philippian Christians. Well, I think the good work is the work of salvation, uh, the work of the Christian life that has been planted in them. And who planted it? It was God. And who continues that Christian work, that work of salvation? It is God again, isn't it? Because it says there that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. See, Paul is not thinking of himself. He doesn't say, I thank God that I was the one that started the good work in you. And I am the one who will keep you going. It is God who is at work. And God continues to pray for them. And his confidence, sorry, uh, Paul continues to pray for them. And Paul is confident that God will continue the good work in them because he's already seen them grow in Christ. Now I wonder, as we read this passage, whether we begin to see that Paul looks at life very differently than how many of us look at life. He looks at the connections between people, not in terms of their skin color, their language, their education, their their earning power, but in terms of a spiritual reality. He sees them all connected in Christ. And he gives thanks to God, not for the short-term material things that you know many people look for, but for the eternal things. So I wonder when, when, when you pray, uh, do you pray and give thanks with joy for your fellow Christians? Uh, when is the last time you prayed and gave thanks with joy for your fellow Christian? And when you gave thanks and prayed with joy for your fellow Christians, what do you pray for? Well, do you, I mean, uh, usually we give thanks for people giving birth, right? Or, you know, some recovery from illness or some uh, deliverance from a difficult situation. But I wonder whether we pray with thanksgiving and joy like Paul does when we see people growing in Christ, partnering in the gospel and, 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 and with confidence knowing that God will continue to work in their lives to keep growing till Jesus comes. Because surely, that is the, the most important thing. I mean, we can have lots of babies. Uh, we can have uh, deliverance from uh, every terrible situation that we can find ourselves in. We can live health, uh, healthy lives without sickness. But if we do not rejoice and give thanks to God in prayer, that people will grow in Christ and continue to persevere in Christ, till Jesus comes, then we've really not understood the gospel at all, isn't it? Now, Paul goes on in verse 7 and verse 8, and he says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, whether I'm in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you, with the affection of Christ Jesus. See again, he says that they all share in the common identity, they all share in God's grace. But what really comes through in verse 7 and verse 8 is the outpouring of emotion. Now I know that someone in my Bible study group was saying that uh, it almost feels a bit uncomfortable reading this passage, right? Because the language here seems almost too... 
too in your face, you know, I long for you. I mean, have you ever said to another Christian recently, oh, I really long for you, long to see you, with affection in my heart. Now, uh, in our current, you know, sexualized envi- environment, people will think that, you know, something is not quite right, right with you, right? <laughs> but, but really, this is the, the, the genuine emotion that Paul the Apostle has for his fellow Christians. And I think that this is something that, that we should have too, right? I mean, should we not love and have affection in our heart for our fellow Christian brothers and sisters in Christ and the Gospel? In fact, look at what Paul says. He says in verse 8, How I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, how much did Christ love the Philippian church? How do you measure how much Christ loved the Philippian church? Well, he loved her so much that he died for her. In the book of uh, Ephesians, again, part of the, uh, these epistles, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to her to make a holy cleansing her by washing with water through the word, and so on. So this is the love that Jesus Christ had for the church. And Paul says that he loves, again the word there, all of them, all of you, with the same affection that Christ loved the church. Now I wonder whether that's the love that we feel for one another because of our common partnership, because of our common identity in Christ. Now my father is a doctor and so so was my mother. And uh, my dad used to tell me how in medical school, they used to tell, I don't know whether it's true or not, but he used to say that in medical school, they used to teach them not to get too close to the patients, especially when they were in hospital. And how uh, you have to re- have a professional distance, especially when you know you're doing an emergency or pediatrics or something, because when the patient dies, you don't want to get too emotionally you know, all rung up about it. But that's not the, the sort of relationships we're meant to have with one another in church. We're not meant to have a professional distance from one another. We're not supposed to have that sort of, you know, uh, professional relationship. We're actually supposed to genuinely have a, a heartfelt, honest love deep from the heart for one another. You see, at the end of the day, what binds us together is much greater than what separates us in terms of our age, in terms of our education, in terms of our status in life, our interests. Our, our, our connection is an eternal divine connection in Christ. We have a common destiny. We have a partnership in, in, a, in a sovereign plan of God which goes on to eternity. So how can we not have this relationship of love and care for one another. See, I remember when I was in university a long time ago, we had a, a bunch of uh, good friends. And uh, my friends, we used to do various things together. And as we were graduating or coming close to our graduation, one of my friends uh, made this very perceptive um, observation. He said, you know, it's going to be sad once we all leave university because we will probably all lose touch with one another. And... Uh, and he, he turned to me and he said, well, at least I'll stay in touch with Andrew because we still play golf. 
Well, I think uh, unfortunately that didn't really hold true because I sort of lost touch with him as well. So obviously golf wasn't enough to hold us together. But in so many ways, relationships are so hard to, to sustain over the long term because things change and interests change. Uh, I've shared this illustration before about how when my mother fell sick of cancer, she was a regular tennis player and she had three or four different tennis khaki friends. But as she stopped playing tennis, and she stopped playing tennis for the two years she was sick, gradually all those friends who were tennis friends uh, stopped visiting because they only really friends because of, of tennis. But in the end, there was only really uh, one or two Christian friends who kept visiting, visiting her uh, to the very end. Uh, for my father, when he had prostate cancer, uh, again, the same thing. A lot of golf friends, you know, first visited when they heard that he was sick. But after that, over time, only one or two friends, and, and there was particularly one friend who was a Christian who kept visiting. And I think that what that really shows is that our connection with one another in Christ is something which is stronger, which is more, uh, uh, I guess, enduring. Because it is real in Christ Jesus. And therefore, in our relationships at church, let us continue uh, to really, not create connection, but to see the connection we already have in Christ. To continue to partner with one another in the Gospel. To keep praying with thanksgiving and joy for one another. For the really important eternal things. And not just the temporary day-to-day and to really love each other with deep affection, the affection of Christ in our heart for one another. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we thank you for your word. And thank you for how we constantly need the reminder to remember who we are before you. That uh, our jobs may pass away, our health may also leave us. Our hobbies change year after year and with different lifestyles. Our, our interests may change as we get older. Uh, even our blood ties, our, our family ties uh, may, may undergo change as people come and go. But help us to see that our relationship in Christ with the peace and grace that has come to us in Jesus will be eternal. Uh, that it is a connection which is divine. And therefore help us as your people together, as brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, to truly continue to partner in the gospel, to share the gospel, to preach the gospel, to suffer for the gospel, to contribute our efforts, our time, our money for the cause of the gospel, to pray for one another uh, and to love one another deeply, dear Father, and to in this way uh, truly be uh, the community that we are meant to be. And we pray for all these things. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.